Hello everyone and welcome to the Wild Voices Project with me, Matt Williams. This conversation is me trying something slightly different. Anthony V. Payne is a man who has been an inspiration to me from a very early age. In this episode, I speak to my grandfather about his childhood growing up in the countryside while experiencing the rationing that was part of life during the Second World War. From egg collecting to den building, he recalls an English childhood in the 1930s and 1940s. And we cover his fears for the future of the environment, his passion for walking on the hills and growing his own vegetables, as well as how he helped to inspire my own childhood love of wildlife. I hope you enjoy these tales from my grandfather. And if you're listening to this conversation on the internet, then remember that you can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and follow us on social media at Wild Voices Proj. The Wild Voices Project podcast tells the stories of the people saving nature. We're a part of Wild Voices Media, a global production team bridging emerging storytellers with aspiring environmental professionals. Find out more about us at wildvoicesproject.org and learn more about the global community at wild-voices.org. Let's get started. So uh, I wanted to start by reminding myself and asking where it was you grew up. Was it in Kent or was it in Somerset? I always forget. Um, well, we were in Kent. We started off in the middle of London, actually, uh, till I was about four or five. Uh, I've got vague memories of um, parades and I think it was in 1936. Um, coronation. I seem to remember being on my father's shoulders outside Buckingham Palace in vast crowds. And then um, uh, we did a short time in Croydon. Uh, I think f- father was managing a snooker hall at that time. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> and uh, Janet was, I think Janet was born there because she's six pretty well six years younger than me, so that would have been 30, 38 she was born, mm-hmm. December 38. And then from there we moved down to um, Stone, just outside Dartford in Kent. And uh, father had disappeared by then, he, was, he went back to London and mum and me and baby Janet were down um, we lived next door to mother's sister and her husband and boy, and um, we had a couple of rooms with, um, I think there were a couple of, I think they were Auntie Rose's husband's brothers, something like that, and there was, a, <laughs> there was an engine shed just along the road, and they used to look after the engines at the local uh, chalk mine. Mm. And uh, chalk mine, and um, also they used to dredge. There were huge ponds. They used to dredge sand out of the pond and chalk out the cliffs. <laughs> and were you still? Was it still fairly urban, or was it more out in the countryside? There? It was out in the countryside. It was. Um, it was called Railway Terrace. There was about six houses all joined together uh, by the side of the railway line, the mm. Southern Railway, and. Um, at the bottom of it, they had quite long allotment gardens. At the bottom was a, a wood, and um, with a bank. And we had my cousin. The next door was, uh, I think, he was about six years older than me, and uh, he let me join his gang. And we <laughs> 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 we got so uh, all sorts of mischief. Um, uh, I can remember the war being declared on the radio. Right. And uh, we all thought this was wonderful. And then um, that would be, um, was it September 39? Yeah, roughly, I yeah. I think it was. Yeah. And then uh, um, I'd have been six then. <clears throat> six or well, seven in the January. And you, you and your gang, were you spending, was it, 
time spent outdoors? Was it all stuff in the woods and all countryside? Outdoor, yeah, there was, um, as I say, these huge, like, um, these huge pits um, where they dredged the sand out. Uh, they used to fill with water, of course, and they were, well, I don't know, they were enormous. They used to work, I suppose, round and round the edge, and it got bigger and bigger. And um, I think it must have been the winter of 39-40. was quite severe. Mm. And uh, there was about six of us who were walking across this <laughs> this huge <laughs> pond. Was it was frozen solid? And we got most of the way across, and there was such a hell of a crack. <laughs> and my cousin who was a leader said spread out and they made me go the furthest (laughs) (laughs) anyway it didn't it didn't let us down so we got out Um, and then um, they started issuing air aid shelters then right so this was this was the start of the war then yep this would be 1940 and did you stay in Kent or did you move? We stayed there um, till the autumn, I think. Um, we got quite a bit of bombing, and because uh, I used to come up to, we were like by the river, about a mile from the river, Thames, and we used to go up the River Thames to London, drop the bombs, and come back. Right. If they couldn't get into London, they used to drop their bombs on us. So um, we had quite a Quite a few bombs around, and um, so the air raid shelter was made use of. Yes, um, each house had its own air raid shelter. But, uh, as we were a little community, they decided to join it all into one. Right. And um, about four or five air raid shelters in a long line at the end of the, the end of the buildings. And um, it was quite a good idea, I think, because. The men built a couple of bunks for the smaller kids and made some seats, and um, we had some near misses down there. <laughs> but as far as I can remember, we, we just used to um, play as normal. You know, if the air raid siren went, we used to sort of duck in, but we got used to it. And was it just playing outdoors? Was it just that you did everything outdoors, or did you notice the wildlife? birds and stuff around you or was it more just that the outdoors was where you did stuff well the outdoors yeah was where we played we built um, huts down in the wood we carved carved a hole in the middle of a big bramble bush I remember (laughs) that was our hideout in there and then at the bottom was um, a bank Uh, I think it was they used to call it a ballast bank I think it was man made and on the top was a little single track railway because yeah. the um, the sand and gravel, uh, sand and uh, chalk, it was a mining company and a grown little railway. Yeah. And, and it was joined up to the southern railway with a link line, so I presume they used to cart it out. But we used to play, and uh, anyway, we ended up down in Somerset. It must have been Christmas, um, Christmas 1940. Mm. We went down, Auntie Dorothy was down there, uh, lodging with a, a family, and we went down for a fortnight's rest. And we stopped about four and a half years, I think. And that was to get away from the bomb- from the bombing? Or, yeah, yeah. yeah, to get away from the <clears throat> bombing. Because, um, I think the kids, us kids slept pretty well, but as you can imagine, that the adults were doing restless nights and morning mm-hmm. and whatnot. So we joined um, Auntie Dorothy at this big house and um, it belonged to the manager of the milk factory which was next door and um, we stayed there for Christmas and then we we got lodgings along the the village a bit further away, um, Farmer Curl, then we got some more lodgings with um, Another farmer, anyway. Another one lasted very long. And did you get involved in helping on the farm? Well, yeah, I was sort of um, a bit young, then, only seven or eight. Right. Seven. And then um, we finally got rooms um, 
with the schoolmistress because she was a single woman and she got a schoolhouse next to the school which was yeah. up, up on the bank and we stayed there oh a couple of years I should think must have been and uh, and there again we had the run of the uh, fields and uh, there was a, a, a hill at the back of the village covered in wood and the front was um, fields fields and uh, no hedges ditches mm. and um, yeah um, we ran them up down there and we didn't really get into any serious mischief and um, <laughs> nobody stopped us going anywhere and there were plenty of apples to scrump in the when they were off on the trees <laughs> and not many cars I guess no no um, and the, the pavements there were quite high above the road and mm. they all had banks grass banks and every Every pavement had its own cycle track down, down and up. We used to ride up and down the paths and up and down the banks. And, um, we used to go ditch jumping. That was one of the hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> All the boys went ditch jumping. And um, really, not, there was a, the River Parrot was uh, about a mile and a half away, I suppose. It was up to the up to the local, by the local church and uh, across three, I think it was about three fields, big fields, and the, it was a river parrot there, so we um, learned to swim there in the, <laughs> in the river. And ditch jumping is presumably just what it sounds like, competing to well, jump yes. the width of the ditch. That's right. Did anyone yeah. ever come a cropper? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> one famous one, it was me. Um, there was this ditch, it was about on my limit, and it had got a, a bank and a, a shelf and then the ditch and it about four inches of water and this uh, ginger what was his name he decided he's going to hide under the bank and i just jump over him as well so off i go at full <laughs> pace I got, I got nearly to the edge and he poked his head up to see what it was <laughs> putting me off the jump but i couldn't stop <laughs> I ended up in the middle of the ditch, <laughs> and uh, there was only four inches of water. I was up to my, up to my waist in slurry. <laughs> so they got me out somehow, and um, that was clothes off, and swill them through and put them back on, and <laughs> don't go until they were dry. <laughs> oh dear. And I know that um, egg collecting was quite popular back in those days. Was that something you ever did? Bird nest, yes. Yeah. Yeah, all the boys had their own uh, egg collection and they were always careful only to take one, <laughs> one egg from each nest. Mm. How many groups of boys did that? I don't know. Um, I suppose there weren't that many. It was about four or five of us of the same age group. Yeah. Did you have a collection? I did at one time. I don't know what happened, happened to it. It's usual um, blackbirds and robins, and um, the one that intrigued me was the little wren's nest with the with the roof on top and the little mm-hmm. hole in the side. Um, yeah, and uh, and then um, we've been up the schoolhouse for some time. And the schoolmistress got married and moved, and some somebody else came in anyway. Um, some some friends of Auntie Lena's and Uncle Dick's, so all with the dairy business. They bought um, all the farmhouse where we where we lodged early on. He bought this farmhouse, and um, Auntie Dorothy and Stephen, and Mum Janet and me and the local woman who made the cheese in the factory. Mm. We had, we all took it between us. Well, we lived there between us, and uh, and that was, we stayed there until we moved out. That was, um, that was quite good then, because right in the middle of the village, right by the tree in the middle of the village, yeah. huge oak tree, you could, run up the outside, it was been there that many years, and, <laughs> and up the inside, it was a slot in the bottom, you could go in the middle and up, up the top to the where it branched out, and one or two of the branches were that big, you could go up the middle of those as well, 
which I did once and got stuck. <laughs> <laughs> Lost my nerve and couldn't get down. <laughs> stuck out over the, hanging over the road and frightened. Yeah, it always feels good going up, and then when you yeah. get to the get to where you want to, you're always a bit like, hmm, how do I how do I get back down from here? Yeah, it was over the inside. You see, I thought if I slip, I should go all the way down. <laughs> so. Um, Farming must have been quite different in those days as well to how it is today. Yes, they had. Um, that was where I I, I um, started helping on the farm because um, although he bought the the farmhouse, um, we might have bought the farm as well. But the farmer just down the road rented the cow stalls and the fields and everything, and um, I started helping them out. And uh, <coughs> used to help with the milk. We'd have milk, milk cows. Used to milk cows by hand then. And um, uh, it was a bit, a bit hard work actually. If you start at one end, it was about thirty-five cows in milk. <laughs> and start early in the morning, I guess, as well. Well, they hear it twice a day. Yeah. Right. And um, and then they they got um a mobile milking machine here. There was four stalls. They used to take it down the fields in the summer and uh, put a fence around it and all the cows would come into the fence and they'd go through the milk pile and out the other end and back back to the open. Well, so you could milk them in the field? Yeah. Oh, wow, OK. Yeah, and um, in the summer they used to um, put the milk in churns and they used to stand the churns in a ditch to keep the milk cool mm. and then in the morning it all used to go up to the milk factory yeah and it wasn't separated it was all chipped into one it was weighed and then mm. it went all down into this huge vat and they made cheese with it right and uh, but um, and then when they used to fetch the cows in I used to go and call the dog and he'd come running along behind me on my bike and he'd go down and open the gate and shout the cows and they'd come along. They'd all come on, except one or two, they'd send the dog after that. <laughs> it soon shifted. <laughs> and uh, they, they knew their way home. The biggest problem was when you put them back and they wanted to put them in a different field. The hell's job to get them past the gate where they did <laughs> Just want to go back to where they came from. Well, yeah, they knew where they, you know, but yeah. once you got them shifted, it wasn't too bad, but they, they didn't like being changed. <laughs> And was that all that milk and cheese just being sold locally, or it doesn't sound like with thirty-five or forty cows it was huge volume? Oh no, um, there was um, oh, there must have been six or eight farmers around, all with oh, cows. supplying that factory, and they all brought it in in the morning, horse mm. and horse and trap, right, and all the churns in the back, and he used to back up to the, but it was the upper bank. And round, and it, it was the there was a um, platform there. Unload it and tip it in. It would weigh it, and then it used to go down there. There was a huge vat inside, and, and there again in a factory. That factory was open front to back, and we used to wander through in in, in groups, and we wouldn't dream of you know interfering with with anything. Mm. Seemed, I don't know. It, it seems so different now. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, and we had horse, um, cart horses. Um, it was must have been halfway through the war, and they were still. Um, Gaylord was the second. Was the second um, farmer we stayed with, and he, his man, was still ploughing with a single fellow and one horse. Wow. At halfway through the war. And I think an acre a day was 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 good going, you know. Yeah. Um, Mr. Prudle, that, that was. <laughs> hmm. huh. he, he used to sing. <clears throat> uh, we saw a village concert once a year or twice a year, and he used to get up and sing. <laughs> <laughs> but they were still. Was every farm in the country using those kinds of methods? Because they managed to feed the country, didn't they, during the war? Yeah. Well, um, about halfway through the war, they started getting 
second-hand tractors, I think. Oh, um, I see. From the States. Yeah. Um, we had a, a, a case which was orange and a John Deere which was green uh, yeah. on this farm where I used to help out. And uh, we did... We did the haymaking and, and whatnot with the uh, horses and carts for two or three years. Oh, okay. And um, and then when they cut the corn, that was a big fam- uh, big village thing. Everybody would go to the cornfield, mm. and they used to go round and round with the binder, cutting and binding into sheaves. And of course, in the in the middle were the rabbits. And they they were all standing around with their guns, and they used to shoot all the rabbits or most of them. Yeah. And uh, share them out round the village. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, of course. Uh, rabbit pie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then um, all these sheaves were taken to the field, and, and they built a rick. And then a bit later on, along could come the steam engine with a threshing box behind, <laughs> and uh, they park it by the near the rick. And because uh, you still got the corn in the ears, and they put it through the threshing machine, and there's some sacks at the back, and the sacks caught all the corn, and the, the sheaves came out of somewhere else. And yeah. Went into another rig, and that was straw then. For yeah. But um, it worked. And these cars horses were magnificent things. <laughs> yeah. You should work all day quietly away and. Hmm. They shoved me up on top of one. They said, "Take, take it back to the stable, but duck your head when he gets to the stable because he won't stop at the door and be in front of his oaks." <laughs> Get knocked it was, off. It was like sitting on a, on a small balcony. You know. <laughs> and during those years, did you just, did you just eat food grown on the farm? Like, where did your vegetables and stuff come from? Um, <clears throat> well, the last. Year or so, and I started going to to uh, Langport to the uh, bigger school. I think it was at age ten and a half, eleven then. And um, I grew some in the we had a little garden at the top. I grew some up there, and mm. uh, we had a village shop, very small. Um, we lived next door to the pub. Uh, I don't know really. Uh, I suppose I'm just wondering about kind of rationing and stuff, and whether did was there rationing, or did you just oh, grow yeah. enough that you? No, no, it was uh, practically everything was rationed. Yeah. Um, which we used to get through the little store. Right. Uh, you had to take your ration book, and you would take the turk coupons out and give me what was what was what. Mm. Even the cheese and the. Um, yeah, but but I don't know. We never seemed to. Go with that. Mm. If we were hungry, we all we all had a knife on our on our belt. We used to go and cut something out the field. I remember um, mango wurzels were quite nice. What are they? They're like giant um, pinky pinky red coloured um, turnips. Right. They were for cattle feed actually. They mm. used to put them in a thing and turn the handle, and they used to chip them all up into chips for the cattle. But we used to go and pull one out. And, Spiegel it and cut the middle out, and <laughs> that would keep us going. <laughs> uh, we used to, um, we'd always find something to eat. There was all the, uh, there was walnut trees and hazelnut trees and um, berries on the hedge. Somebody, somebody always knew whether they were any good to eat or not, and <laughs> it turned out to be wrong. Well, I think that's one of the things that has changed, is things like egg collecting or... Um Obviously, that's illegal these days, but you know, people don't know how to find nests anymore. That's a lost art, and yeah. identifying trees and berries in the wild as well. People don't, you know, it's quite rare to meet someone who knows how to do that these days as yeah. well. Yeah, we all had homemade catapults. <laughs> we used to make um, bows and arrows. Yeah, we weren't very successful because it wasn't. We couldn't get a decent string, and <laughs> and the bows weren't very strong, but. Uh, Bows and arrows, spears, and um, catapults were quite good. Last year didn't last very long enough. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I remember you telling me about school once was that you, did you have a pet jackdaw? 
on your bike handlebars? Oh yes, uh, yeah. That was um, up at the when we were up at the schoolhouse. I had um, a pet jackdaw. Um, must have took it out of the nest when it was young mm. and clip it, clip its wings, and um, they'd become very tame. I had a pet jackdaw up there, um, a rabbit, rabbit I had, um, frog spawn. That was. That was quite interesting to watch that develop into frogs. In a little pond or in a no, tank? In a, or? I don't know what it was now. It was, um, it was homemade. No, it wasn't a pond. It was, must have been a container of some sort. I mm. don't know what it was. No plastic pots in those days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> must have been tin of some sort. And um, that, was, that was quite a big garden around that the house and the school. It was all, up, built sort of a half, halfway up the hill. And so we had a nice sort of lawn around, and then a bit lower down was a, a wild garden full of trees and whatnot. And you could run wild in there. It was all that shit was sort of my own private, um, private wood for a while while we yeah. were there. Yeah. And the um, the rector the rectory was just below us, the other side of the road. That had extensive gardens. I didn't really like you going in there, but we did anyway because there was there was a tailor, there was a tunnel from the rectory to the church, and down this, you know, what we got <laughs> we got caught in there once. <laughs> the, the caretaker locked us in the shed. <laughs> <laughs> right, kind of yeah. <laughs> method of punishment. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, it was it was good. I still think of it as home down there, really. Mm. Mm. And was it quite common for people to have pet jackdaws and well, pet wild birds? Uh, only, jackdaw, only jackdaws, I think. Just jackdaws. Two, two or three of us, and because uh, I guess they're quite intelligent as well, right? I suppose so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we had um, a professional rabbit catcher in the village. He used to go off. Um, he had a huge car into the sun and used to go off for a, well, a week or something they used to come back and the car was absolutely stuffed with rabbits they used to set those gin traps mm. and um, they used to catch rabbits galore mm. for eating yeah 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 yes because I mean it was meat was very scarce in the war right yeah um, chickens, eggs. We never seem to. Not too short of eggs. I took. I took twelve on one day. I, I was up the local local farm, up by the church. It was where the the manor house was next to the church, and the, he was the big. He was the big farmer, and I was up there mucking about because there was a pond up there and um, some big trees you could climb again. And I saw this chicken walking down a field. I said, I wonder where that thing's going. And I followed it, and it went into the hedge. And I looked, and they were sitting on 12 eggs. <laughs> so, well, that's handy sort of stuff. So <laughs> down my shirt and took them home. So that's a good day's haul. Yeah. <laughs> where did you get them from? <laughs> oh, dear. So, but, uh, yeah, that was good. And I don't know quite when when it was that you moved to Malvern or Worcester, but well, you've um, you've still kind of we were still done there. a lot of stuff outdoors, haven't you? You've w- oh, walked yeah. the hills for years. Yeah, yeah. Nineteen nineteen forty five, father came along. I think it was VE day or something. Mm-hmm. We were still down in the village, uh, and then um, he wanted to see all his relations and whatnot. And, uh, I think him and Mum and Janet, I think they took Janet with her and they left me down there and I continued with school and Auntie Dorothy looked after me, I think. Mm. And then um, um, we moved to Upton and we lived at the White Lion for a while because his father's sister kept it and her husband. Yeah. And um, he started helping out there. And then looking back, when when Nick did the family tree, 
the whole family had been um, publicans for years. Mm. They were drunken like <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, we moved there and um, uh, I don't know, Christmas 45, something like that. I think we were there for Christmas. And then we moved to the firmer in in Church Street. In Malvern? In Malvern, yeah. Mm. And when did you start walking on the Malvern Hills? Well, actually, a lot of the, the kids at school that lived here had never been up there. Yeah. And um, I I lived next door to George Morris, and um, he was a quiet sort of chap, but we did do a bit of walking. Not, not a lot, not, not like it, but became afterwards but um, um, I did go and roam on the hills quite a bit because I was used to roaming (laughs) (laughs) and um, the the walking thing started when Nick was I think he was about 14 oh okay a bit later yeah he um, he fell out of a tree and broke his wrist I think it was and um, he was all it was all strapped up and he he didn't know what to do so he used to take him for walks on the hill and he got fed up with it and I carried on so <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've been doing it uh, well ever since and so for the last few years that um, I can't walk uphill now very well I lose my breath so I'm, I'm Restricted now to walking them all very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> I can go like hell in the night walking back downhill, but uh, pushing it uphill, I must. <laughs> what was it you like about walking on the hills, though? Um, well, the peace and quiet, for one thing, I think, and um, the views um, and the actual walking, uh, you know, the changing scenery and all the heather and the. Um, I used to I used to walk this end of the hill quite a bit the beach. sort of northern end yes. yeah and uh, and then um, oh, I don't know I, well, we've got a map or something to Mormon Hills and started taking an interest in the other end and I used to drive to the British camp and park up and walk walk the uh, that end of the hills to the, usually to the midsummer hill mm. and um, there's a little hut on the top stone hut and then if you walk down from that towards this side of the hill if you walk down it's, it's all wooded uh, and it's full of bluebells in season and um, it's quite pretty actually and then um, I wanted to see what the far end was like so uh, I found a way to that and um, I took you there once didn't I well I was just about to say you and me did a I think we did about nine miles yeah didn't from, we from the British camp to the far end and back again yeah from mm. British camp south and then that's, back yeah, yeah I think we we pushed it quite hard that day yeah <laughs> yeah yes because remember saying to you all I'm feeling alright today we'll, we'll go with the end <laughs> yeah let's carry on <laughs> I don't know whether I've been back since <laughs> mm. so um, and then I did the um I did the double length of the hills twice uh, on my own. Um, oh, right, the whole... You mean doing the whole length in one day and back? Yeah. Because mm. mm. that's about 18 miles, something like that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, cool, when I think back, I've got um, a pedometer, and um, I did 14, 14 miles on the, on the hill Saturday morning and then went dancing Saturday evening. <laughs> <laughs> And you notice the birds and stuff up there. I mean, one of my one of my strong memories, I think it's a real memory, is on Saturday evenings of you often telling me about. Well, I distinctly remember you mentioning if you'd seen or heard a green woodpecker, and you also used to tell me if you'd heard a cuckoo. I remember that quite a lot. Yes, yeah, you hear the cuckoo up there, and um, green woodpeckers. Yeah, um, one of the few few birds I learned to recognise. But. Um, um, I usually, I usually drive now to um, 
above the cattle sings, and I've got a circular, circular route there, which takes like three quarters of an hour, mm. or I can make it a bit longer, and then that's about enough for me now. So, yeah. Okay. So I, I do that in the summer. Um, do you still hear the cuckoo as much? Have you noticed a change no, over time? No, I haven't. Um, I, I think actually, you know, some people said they hadn't didn't hear it last year at all. Uh, well, I was just interested in asking because their decline has been, I think it's about 60% over the last 30 years. Has it? Yeah, so there are nowhere near as many now as there were. And in, you know, another 30 years, you'd be lucky if you can hear a cuckoo in England anymore in the summer, well, in the spring, rather. Mm. So I was just interested in whether or not you'd noticed that because they've yeah, definitely you, declined very dramatically. Yeah, because you would always... Here, sort of two or three on a long walk up mm. there. Well, yeah. you know, sort of decades or a couple of centuries ago, people used to write about, you know, when male cuckoos were singing, you just hear them everywhere. Yeah. It'd be really yeah. common. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Of course, I suppose uh, they lay their eggs in other people's nests and uh, there aren't as many of the other birds about perhaps to leaving nests for cuckoos to breed into them. Yeah, that's one of the things they think might be affecting it. So they rely a lot on, um, I think one of the birds they rely on a lot is the meadow pipit. And there's been quite a big drop in meadow pipit numbers. Mm. So there's not as many meadow pipit nests for cuckoos to put their eggs in. They don't They don't know if this is definitely the, the cause or, you know, it's one among a number of causes. But yeah, mm. the drop in the number, partly because of the way that farming has changed. The yes. drop in the numbers of birds like meadow pipits yeah. has had a, a knock-on impact on on cuckoos because they rely on other birds' nests. Yeah, that's the thing down at um, uh, Mother Ivy's Bay. Uh, you walk cliffs there. In Cornwall. Mm, yeah. Notices, uh, don't, you know, be careful where you walk and don't disturb the... Something that nests on the ground, uh, on the cliffs, I can't think what it is. Oh, it might be skylarks or something mm. like that. Uh, I'm there. Um, they're trying to encourage something back on the hills. Just recently, they've been on about it. A bird species. Mm. They're leaving it wild so that it can. I think it must be ground nester again. No, oh, that might be skylarks or meadow pipits. They both nest on the ground. Mm. Yeah. Could yeah. Be, could be. Mm. Oh, uh. And you've travelled a lot in the UK and abroad. Have you kind of seen seen interesting wildlife elsewhere in the UK, in Scotland or Wales or in other countries? Ooh, I haven't well travelled. I, I went with the army. Um, I think we made that much noise. It was nothing, <laughs> nothing much. <really. laughs> I remember you and Nana sending postcards, though, from, yeah, from holidays we, in, I don't know, Malta or Cyprus went, or places like yeah, that. Yeah, we went to Malta. Um, what was Malta like? Yeah, quite nice, Walter. Yeah, um, plenty to see, and it was all sort of local. It was not very big, obviously. Mm. Mm. We went back to Cyprus. Mm. That was all right. Uh, and then we went to Italy, mm. and um, and. Um, <laughs> Did you notice any wildlife or any differences in the countryside compared to England? Mm. Italy, Italy is very uh, hilly and wooded. Um, I began to understand why they had such a job when they were fighting a war up there to, to get through it. It was mm. a hell of a place to um, get through. But uh, no, um, wildlife, I've probably seen it, but not knowing what it is, you just... Yeah. Forget it, really. It's just in the background. I, I, yeah, I haven't, I haven't studied it, I must admit. Well, Cyprus and Malta are both interesting ones because in the spring and the autumn, when lots of millions, literally millions, tens of millions of birds funnel over Cyprus and Malta because they're pieces of land in the uh -huh. middle of the sea, mm -hmm. and there's a huge culture of shooting, mm -hmm. lots of migrant birds, it's a really big mm. problem. It's one of the things that's probably affecting cuckoos as well and it's on such a scale that it impacts on the you know on the european level population of all these mm. bird species because they just yeah. take out thousands and thousands of them 
which yeah. has a really big knock-on effect when they then return to their countries to breed in the spring. Yeah, yeah, I think they get them going out and coming back, don't they? Yeah, uh, both ways. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what the hell they do with them. Don't know. I think some of them. I think some of it's for eating. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether all of it is. It's just to become a really big tradition. Although I don't quite know how old a tradition it is whether it's centuries old or whether it's actually only a few decades. Mm. Yeah, there's lots of efforts at the moment to try and mm. try and reduce it. Trouble is the guns have become more accurate and, uh, mm. than what they used to be, so obviously that makes it worse. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask about the winters, go back to that story of you <laughs> walking out over that frozen... <laughs> frozen pond or frozen lake. Yeah. Have you noticed winters not being as cold? Over time? Yeah. Um, the winter we moved to Malvern, be 40, 46, 47, yeah. possibly. That was severe. Mm. Um, it went on for weeks, and um, there was a couple of, couple of foot of snow at least. Uh, it, it was 47, that's right, because um, I left school that year. They had me and another kid, we were shoveling, <laughs> shoveling coal at school, down, <laughs> into the, down into the cellar to keep the boiler going. They dumped it outside, that's right. And that must have been 47, because we were yeah, on the point of leaving. But that, that was very severe that winter. Um, the pool in Priory Park was, um, somebody reckoned there was 18 inches of ice on the pool but it was there was 50 at least 50 people on there skating round and round and uh, you know it was it was solid yeah um i think they drove an austin seven down the middle of the river seven from <laughs> from worcester to upton so that was how bad the the ice was yeah and um they um they had a contractor's lorries I remember long um, the road to the theatre and gangs of blokes shoveling snow off the road and taking mm. it somewhere and dumping it on the common, I should think. Um, um, they sent um, they sent a message one day to the, the council bloke in charge and said, um, um, can you send some more shovels? We haven't got enough. He said, sent back the message. He said, you'll have to lean on one another. He said, we've got no shovels <laughs> <laughs> that, that is all the shovels. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, that was a hell of a that was a hell of a winter. That was, and then that was forty seven, and then I don't know whether that actually, but it was following that winter. It could have been the gales. It blew for over a week. It broke. A lot of the windows down Church Street in the shop windows. Mm. It took took trees down, obviously chimneys. Um, you could stand on Bellevue Terrace and and lay against the wind like that. It was, it was, it would, didn't come in gusts. It just blew. I don't know where it came from and where it went. It, <laughs> and it blew for for days on end. It was yeah, horrendous. And then after that, as far as I can remember, it was, uh, 63 was the worst one. Winter, that went on for, that was very, very cold. But you got much. snow most years, right, in winter, back then? <sighs> yeah, I think so. Yes, we, we, we had snow down in Somerset because we were all sledging on the, in mm. the side of the hill, that's right. Yeah, we got... Yes, we did, because I, <laughs> I fell through the ice down there, <laughs> on the ditch. <laughs> Wet through, uh, it was, that was another <laughs> job of clothes off, and wring them out, stay out until they were dry. <laughs> yeah. I certainly don't think I've experienced a winter as cold as any of those ones. No. And I don't. Th- I haven't really had snow in winter that many times in my life. Six or seven, maybe. Mm. Proper yeah, snow. Yeah. Yeah, it was more, it was more natural. Yeah. Thirty nine. Actually, it was thirty nine forty. I think it'll be in the books. Um, all the um, telephone cables—they got wet, and then it froze, and the weight it snapped. 
Right. Snapped all the telephone, well, not all, but a lot of the telephone cables in the land um, snapped in the way. And that was that was when we were walking across the ice, I should think, that, that year. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then, I think it was 63, it was very bad. And the, and the uh, frost was so penetrating that it froze water pipes down in the ground that had never been frozen before. Wow. And they changed the building regs then and they had to put them, oh, I didn't know, about another foot further down. Deeper. Oh, and then... But... Moving from a little little village where you knew everybody to Malvern made a hell of a difference. So, um, uh, I was—I don't know—I was wasn't one of the boys anymore. So it's yeah. Uh, I think it. Um, I think it put me back really. Yeah. Because mm. I was. Um, we did a Christmas concert at the school. Um, it must have been Christmas '44. I'd have been. 11, I suppose, nearly, near almost 12. And uh, I did a little piece on stage all on my own. And uh, no, no bother because um, everybody in the village, at, when we had our village concert, used to, not everybody, but everybody, a lot of people got up on stage and did their little bit. Mm. And uh, I used to, I got up and I learned a poem about. Um, oh, just jogging along. <laughs> <laughs> Seems very apt for the war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mr. Priddle used to get up and sing his song about what's the price of oats, Johnny? <laughs> what's the price of meal? Um, <laughs> To go back to the travelling thing, you've been to Cornwall quite a lot of times, haven't you? And um, yes, was it Wales a few years ago? I think, and uh, even yeah. when you were in Wales, you went to an RSPB reserve where there were lots of seabirds on the cliffs, right? Oh, that was. Um, was yeah. it South Stack? Am I remembering? No, not South Stack. Maybe <clears throat> it was something else. The one I remember was on uh, Anglesey. Yeah, I can't remember if that is South Stack. I think it might be South Stack that's on Anglesey. Sure. Mm. Anyway. Yeah, there's, um, but, um, <clears throat> on Trevo's head, um, it's absolutely alive with gulls, uh, all the cliffs and whatnot, mm. the noise, and, and don't like it if you get too close. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, uh, yeah, but, um, Well, yeah, I like the wildlife. It's nice to see, but I've never really studied it, and my limited knowledge of what's what is a bit very limited. Yeah, <laughs> you feed the birds in the garden, though, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And you enjoy seeing those. Yes, yeah, they come. Yeah, we still got a fair few sparrows, not as many as we had last a few weeks ago. Yeah, there's been some just this morning eating the the mealworms and stuff. Well, the patio. Um, um, fat little fat uh, things like oh was that what it was little and they, fat they things the fat balls first yeah <laughs> they're not worse than the meal ones. they like those fat balls I know why. that grey that grey blackbird was there as well oh with it? the white markings mm. on it yeah. yeah yeah and you still grow your own vegetables as well is that just because you know because it was something you did when you were younger and you just didn't stop I suppose so. Um, uh, the garden down at Worcester Road, I mean, that was absolutely wonderful, that was. It, um, the, the ground there, it was an old Victorian cottage, so the ground had been cultivated for years and years. And you could plant what you liked down there, and it grew. It was wonderful soil, and it was all loamy and beautiful. When I came here, it was like you digging clay. It was, it was very, dis <laughs> very disappointing. It, it's just 
It's about decent now, but we've been here nearly 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you do all right. As long as I can remember, you've always yes. had bumper crops of beans and courgettes. and Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've got carrots this year as well. well that's pretty good. It's a change. Yeah. That's, um, I think that was because they were next door to the beans and they got watered every night. Um, it does make a difference. They say you should water carrots often, and um, we're the best carrots we've had this year. Yeah. Funny enough. Gorgeous uh, galore. And again, is that like with the walking on the hills? Is that just something you kept on doing because you enjoyed it? It's not because you need the vegetables, right? Well, I suppose it's it no, saves no, you having I mean, to buy it, them, but it's 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 easier to go over to Littles and buy them, and and they're quite cheap. Uh, <laughs> when I think of the time and effort, <laughs> and I put money, in, I guess. As well. it, um, you know, it, it, no, the seeds aren't too bad, but um, no, it, it gives me something to do. I suppose. I mean, um, I don't believe in sitting in a chair because you just sit there and rot. <laughs> you must keep going, and I think. That's that's why I walk still walk to Auburn three or four times a week. It, um, and I, I have company now. They, I mean, I don't have to open my mouth. I walk in the cafe now and we <laughs> drink coffee. Your usual. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't get a ticket or anything. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I walked in not last Saturday, Saturday before, and sat down, and there was three young three young ladies coming from one with the mug, one with the coffee, and another one with the up. <laughs> Got it down to a finely, finely oiled practice. Oh, this is wonderful. <laughs> they don't get this long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, it's quite nice to um, chat. And, uh, and you watch things like Country File and Blue... Pl- you've been watching some of Blue Planet 2 recently as well. Um, yeah, yeah. I guess I'm interested in whether you think, I don't know, um, watching programmes like that, whether you think things have changed for wildlife and the environment or, yeah, um, yes, what those have. programmes make you think, I guess, particularly something like Country File where it kind of gives you a lay of the land compared to what it was like when you were growing up in the 30s and the 40s. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's amazing now they... Uh, um, Five follow plough reversible. They used to drive it along one way and reverse it and turn back and uh, turn it around and back they go the same way. And they plough a whole 18, 20 acre field in the morning, one bloke and a, a plough. And a, you know, I mean, it's amazing how they turn it over. But um, how long it can go on for, I don't know. Um, It worries. Well, it worries me. I think about it, but it won't worry me because I should be gone. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm, the world is over full, mm. and um, they were talking yesterday about fishing. They were instead of dragging chains across the bottom of the sea, now they're electrocuting them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all very well, but um, you're killing off the. You're killing off the young as well. They just, well, I suppose they've got to feed us, but um, it just seems profit. It's so wasteful. I mean, the, the fishing quotas, oh, the fishing quotas are good, but when they catch stuff they're not supposed to, they have to throw it back. <laughs> When it's it's dead, then it usually it it's it's ridiculous, but I don't know. Um, mm. Yeah, sometimes it's birds as well. It's not just fish that they catch by mistake. Sometimes yeah. they're catching seabirds by yeah. mistake too. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yes, because the birds try and take the fish out of the net, and then they get caught up. And, uh, um, when you think. How simple life was when I was a child. We got, we got practically nothing, but we didn't realise because we, <laughs> we, we don't would have been like that. So we, now we sit here and um, we don't even have to light the fire in the morning. Or um, it all, it all comes through the pipe. I don't know how much longer that's going to last. Cause there's got to be an end to it somewhere. <laughs> 
I just don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. A whole lot's going to come to a shuddering halt, I think, in the next 50 years. Mm. So things like Country File and Blue Planet, they make you more worried than hopeful about the future, particularly for wildlife and the environment, I countryside? Sh- I should think so, yes. Yeah. yeah. I sit here and... Sit here and think. And... and um, people are greedy or wasteful now they throw things away um, <laughs> and me upstairs sticking two half bars of soap together you know <laughs> because I was brought up that way mm. not because I can't afford another one but yeah. uh, uh, um, is there anything that does make you more hopeful more positive of the world yeah f- particularly for the environment I suppose uh, well, the forecasts aren't good. They're all saying it's warming up, and then it doesn't. They, I don't know. They, they make excuses and say the computer program's wrong. As I don't know. Um, possibly, things. The world goes round in a cycle. Um, we've had ice ages before. Um, uh, we've had periods, we've had tropical tropical seas around us. Uh, it could all change again. So I guess your hope is maybe that, well, hopefully the experts are wrong and that it's not as bad as they think. Possibly. Um, but something will have to be done about population. It can't, I mean, it, it's, it's an ever-increasing... Menace, really. Um, it's not just here; it's, it's worldwide, isn't it? It's obviously the more and more people there is, the more the more and more it increases. It it, it keeps doubling. And do you think going back to that simpler way of living would help? Well, it certainly wouldn't waste so much, so much um, of the environment. Of the, but trouble is, you can't go backwards. People, people, oh, they go mad. Mm. Do things that do programs like Blue Planet though kind of, I don't know, at least. Um, you know, show that there's still some amazing stuff left. But, yes. you know, it's not too late, I guess. There's there's wonderful and even things out there that we don't even know about yet, that, yeah. that there's still plenty to save, I suppose. Yeah, I do think <clears throat> that maybe this has all happened before. Mm. Um, when you think of the... Is the world 50, 50 billion years old? Or about something? 4 billion years four old. 4 billion years old, <clears throat> Um, That's probably slightly wrong, but something like that. Yeah. Uh, we could have. I think we got too clever for ourselves now. Mm. And I know. If we hadn't been hadn't got very clever, I probably wouldn't be here now. For <laughs> <laughs> so, not moaning too much, but we've invented ways to to do this, that, and the other, and it's it's all proliferating. And, uh, so when you say you, we, the world's been here before, you mean it's been through kind of catastrophic events in, in the course of its history, and nature still has the ability to recover from those. Yeah, yeah. I think. I think that there there will come a a disease. Or something, that will wipe out most of the population. Coming mm-hmm. back to. I mean. There are still the odd pocket of people living in the forest peacefully. Mm. Um, They might survive. Um, uh, I don't know. Nature will find a way to restore the balance for itself. Left alone, yes. Yeah. I think so. Um, Yeah. Yeah. 
Mm. Would, uh, the, uh, it wouldn't take long for the, the weeds to grow, and from the weeds grow the trees, and then the forestation, and and then once you get that, it turns the atmosphere back to whatever it should be. <laughs> and it starts to come back? So, possible. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Mm, good. <laughs> right, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Well, not really well. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation and you can find more of them at wildvoicesprojects.org by subscribing to the podcast in iTunes or at Wild Voices Proj on Twitter. Take care and until next time. <laughs>